Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast. I'm your host for today, Drama Del Rosario. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I am a documentary filmmaker who has made films exploring the lives of the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm also the lead video producer for Believe, and I've had the honor of working on Stop the Bleeding, the Let's Talk mental health documentary, and the Teen Impact Awards. So for this episode, we are tackling the LGBTQ plus community within the Bleeding Disorders community. Um, When we were first planning on this episode for the Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, I knew I wanted to take on this episode. And I wanted to take this as an opportunity to talk about the transgender experience within the Bleeding Disorders community. And so we have a wonderful guest today, Mason Bobro, who has worked with us before through the uh, Teen Impact Awards and through Hemophilia, the Zooms I call, and I'm so excited for you all to hear my interview with Mason. Here it is. So I am here today with Mason Bobro. Mason is from Pennsylvania, 18, and with a bleeding disorder. Thank you so much for coming here, Mason. Of course. You know, um, it's kind of of nice to be able to talk about my experiences and stuff. It's, you know, I've done it kind of a lot now, and it doesn't get old. Like, it's, it's really nice. And sometimes I worry that I'm talking about myself too much. Oh, feel free to. Like, this whole episode is starring you. So <laughs> feel free to talk about yourself as much as you uh, as much as much you want. So, yeah, my first question for you is, you know, identity is very important. And I want to give you the opportunity right now to introduce yourself in any way or in any form that you want. Gotcha. So um, my name is Mason Bobro. Um, I'm 18 years old. I have factor 10 deficiency, uh, which is a rare bleeding disorder, um, moderate, severe. I am very, very gay. I'm like six letters of the LGBT acronym. Uh, (laughs) Probably my biggest identifier is being transgender, which I think is what we're going to focus on today. And just so everyone knows, your preferred pronouns are? He and him. Um, so we have spoken to you before through the Teen Impact Awards in 2019 and Hemophilia the Zoomsicle. Um, and we, you know, you've talked about your bleeding disorder and you were first diagnosed at the age of nine. And I remember you were saying that at first, like the doctors were kind of confused as to, you know, what was really going on. So tell us about that. So, um, when I was nine years old, I had a procedure done, um, I had a colonoscopy with biopsy, and uh, the biopsy site started to bleed uncontrollably, and um, I didn't find this out until like a couple years ago, but apparently I almost died. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, apparently they were telling my parents, like, be prepared, he might not leave the hospital, like, and this was news to me, (laughs) like 15, (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh but um yeah i got diagnosed uh with factor 10 but it took them a, a while it took a week of me just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding internally um because they originally tested me for hemophilia a and b but i don't have hemophilia a or b and they were like if it's not that we don't know what it is so uh someone from the pittsburgh hematology center uh sent over like the hemophilia center of western pa 
sent over um, a doctor, Dr. Ritchie, to take on my case, and that is when he diagnosed me with factor 10 deficiency, and I lived. So, First of all, so happy that you're alive. It's so horrible that you had to, like, go through all that, all those years of, like, confusion and, like, not, uh, not knowing things. Um, but, you know, we're glad that you're here. And I want to talk to you about being a transgender man. I think one of the things that really stood out to me when we spoke to you at the Teen, Imp at the Teen Impact Awards was that you're free to be who yourself and you don't want to, you know, box yourself and conform to what the heteronormative eye defines what a transgender man should be and what a transgender man should look or sound like or pass as. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. So um, when I first like realized that I was transgender, it took me a while because I liked to wear dresses. I liked to do my makeup. I liked to sew. I liked to do art. And I took me a while because I was like, how can I be a guy if I still like all these things? And I don't like traditionally masculine things. Like, I don't like being outside. I'd stay inside every day if I could. But, like, um, COVID is, like, the best because I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but um, I was so confused. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have a trans man friend of mine who kind of looked at me and went, I think you're trans. And I'm like, but like, huh? And um, it took me, I went to, uh, I went on a trip to Hawaii with my grandparents and for like a month uh, before I started high school. And it took me that whole month to be like, am I trans? <laughs> and um, I finally was like, you know what? If a guy can wear a dress, the cis man can wear a dress and still be a cis man, why would it be a problem for me? Exactly. And you know, when I first came out, I still felt kind of bound to, I have to wear certain things. I have to speak a certain way. I have to walk a certain way even. Um, and, you know, I still would like to pass. I still don't. <laughs> I kind of struggled because, um, you know, there are so many things that I like to do that I felt like I couldn't do because I was trying to be what society thinks of as a man. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I got bullied in school a lot as well. So that kind of contributed to it, you know, me trying to be as masculine as possible to like prove to everybody that I was actually a guy. It didn't matter. Um, they weren't listening anyway. So, <laughs> so eventually I was just like, you know what? They're going to hate me anyway. I'm done trying. <laughs> like, yeah, so exactly. For picture day once, I like wore a dress to school. I wore like earrings. I did my makeup. When I walked in the door, the band was amazing. I was in the band all of high school, the marching band. Oh my goodness. When I walked in the band room, everyone was like, Oh my God, Mason. <laughs> I was like, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. Like it honestly, like we, we beat ourselves down so much because, you know, society and these certain standards are ingrained in us. And as you grow older, you start to realize that that honestly does not matter. Like they will care for like, what, three seconds. Um, and then 
eventually like you start to realize that your happiness and you know your your freedom matters much more honestly thing, like, i think the sad thing is that some people don't realize that it's not important some people go their whole lives mm -hmm. thinking i have to be this way because of what parts i have like right. i have to act this way i have to do these things i'm not allowed to do these things you know um cisgender women um like people who are assigned female at birth uh have to accept like oh i won't be paid as much as someone who mm. has a penis because i don't have a penis like it's mm -hmm. it's so confusing and kind of sad and i you know i don't think that it's possible for like gender to just not be a thing anymore like like mm -hmm. sex to not be a thing um i don't think it's possible but i think like the closer we get to kind of like almost not really eliminating it because it is such a big part of people's identity but kind of realizing that it doesn't matter who you are is not what is between your legs i think the closer we get to that the happier people are going to be with themselves and you know generation z i am like between millennial and gen z i'm more on the gen z side but gen z yeah. literally every kid i've ever met i spoke to a second grader and she was totally accepting of the fact that I was trans. She corrected the other second graders. It was amazing. Yes. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I love oh you, child. Gosh, I don't know who you are. <laughs> that is amazing. I know, but you know, that is amazing. like the most accepting and most open ever with mental health, with gender identity, with, you know, sexuality, with everything that, you know, before some people would think was wrong. And I think, the closer we get to that, the more happy everybody is going to be with themselves. That honestly makes me so excited for the future of this world. Amid everything that's happening, that makes me, you know, have some hope. Um, I want to talk to you about um, what it's like being a transgender man within the world of bleeding disorders. What is that experience like? I have never had someone in the hemophilia community and bleeding disorders community disrespect my pronouns. Never. And that is more than I can say for literally every other community I've been in. Even some people in the LGBT community don't think that transgender people exist. So like, Oh gosh, it was amazing. You know, when I came out as trans, my whole chapter was like, okay, Mason, and I was like, that was easy. And they came up with a whole confidentiality system for me specifically and to use for other kids who may come out as trans, you know, who can they tell, who should know? Like I went to a, a lock-in, so like a stay the night kind of thing. They asked me, what dorm do I wanna be in? Do I wanna be with the boys or with the girls? Um, uh, who should know that I'm trans? Who are they allowed to use my pronouns and name with? Um, are they allowed to tell people or is that for me only? And, you know, being an open trans guy, I didn't really care. But like the fact that they asked all of those questions was incredible. And then when I went to the national meetings, you know, there was no problem getting my name even before I had it legally changed, getting it to say Mason instead of my dead name. It, no problem at all. Nobody, 
you know, some people make mistakes and use the wrong pronouns. Even people in my family still do that, and that's okay. I don't mind that. Um, but literally, I don't think I've ever heard anyone in the hemophilia community even make a mistake. And it's kind of amazing. And I, I'm just so shook, like, um, coming from especially my, like, small country town, you know, where everyone, you know, doesn't like, you know, LGBT people. It was just kind of incredible because I was like, wow, they're, they're showing just how easy it is. And everyone else is saying how hard it is, but it's really just not. So, like, the hemophilia community has been really incredible. The bleeding disorders community. Um, accepting me personally, I don't know. Uh, I can't speak for the experiences of anyone else. Um, but I think the reason that the hemophilia community is so open and accepting of LGBT people is because we know what it's like to be different. And to have people not think before they speak, to know what it feels like to be an outcast in some situations, like gym class. I think, I think every hemophiliac knows exactly that experience. But So I think, you know, I wish that bleeding disorders didn't exist because they come with so many problems and health issues. But at the same time, I can't imagine my life without the bleeding disorders community. And, you know, the fact that there is a community, despite, you know, having this diagnosis that can kind of flip your life around, the community being there is just incredible. And, you know, there are some people I've met, some friendships I've made that will probably last my whole life. And um, it's amazing. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's so good that the community is, you know, conscious of your preferences and your needs and that, you know, there are resources available and it's not just like something that is ignored or something that is perceived as an inconvenience for other people. The fact that, you know, your needs are being addressed, I feel like is such it, it, it's so it's so critical. It's so it's so critical for the bleeding disorders community to, you know, have that. Um, you know, not everyone might necessarily have a positive experience or a good experience. Um, and some, you know, transgender people with bleeding disorders might experience, you know, gender dysphoria in their everyday life. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Let's start with, um, uh, I guess, a definition of gender dysphoria for people who might not be familiar with the term. How would you how would you define it? So dysphoria as a general term is unhappiness, like deep-seated unhappiness. And um, gender dysphoria can either be a mental thing or it can be a physical thing. Uh, physical dysphoria, physical gender dysphoria is not liking certain aspects of your body that may coincide with a specific sex or specific secondary sex characteristics that you do not like and that you would rather not have. Um, uh, I personally, my bodily dysphoria is mainly centered on my uterus. I want it gone. I want it gone sooner, sooner rather than later. I could not see myself being happy for the rest of my life having it in my body. Um, it's kind of, for me anyway, bodily dysphoria is feeling like there's something alien on you or in you. You know, sometimes 
I'm okay with my boobs. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, those are pretty nice. Um, <laughs> but other times, like now, I'm wearing my binder because I don't want other people to see them. And I don't want myself to see them. And dysphoria can also be in in the mind. I don't want to say in the mind because it's not like all in your head, even though like, you know, it is. But, you know, when you say that, people think it's somehow less legitimate, like your brain isn't an organ. Anyway, <laughs> um, mental dysphoria is sort of like almost like social dysphoria is sort of like you are uncomfortable with how you perceive yourself and how other people perceive you. So um, social or mental dysphoria can be sort of like uh, pronouns. Um, you know, if someone uses the pro wrong pronouns, if someone uses the wrong name. Um, I personally have really bad dysphoria with my dead name. A lot of people do. Some people don't mind it. Um, it's all an individual experience. Uh, you can be trans without having any bodily dysphoria. You can be trans without having social dysphoria. Being dysphoric is not directly connected to being trans. Normally that is the case, but not always. You know, if you think that you are a different gender, you don't have to prove it. <laughs> I, I don't really understand it when people say you can't be trans without being dysphoric. Because, you know, I think we should be happy for the people that are dysphoric, that don't like hate themselves, don't wake up, look in the mirror and say, oh my God, what is that? You know, like, or like aren't bothered when people, you know, stumble or aren't bothered when people use whatever pronouns, you know, I know I have some people that use whatever pronouns, like they don't care what people call them. And um, I think that's wonderful. But um, yeah, dysphoria itself is kind of being unhappy with what you look like or with how other people see you. Before we uh, hit record on this on this interview, we were talking. You said you wanted to mention something about you know periods and flows. Um, would you like to touch on that? Yeah. So being a trans man, kind of the the biggest like reminder that I'm like was born female <laughs> are my periods. Um, they're even a bigger reminder than my boobs. Cause even though my boobs are there all the time, some men have boobs too. So it's not like, you know, and the periods, the periods, like, especially being a hemophiliac, having a bleeding disorder. I think anyone who has assigned female birth who has a bleeding disorder kind of is like, Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, you know, the cramps are terrible, especially when I was in high school, because um, my bleeding disorder was so rare. Um, I was diagnosed at nine, which is sort of late, like really late for normal, like bleeding disorder diagnosis. But um, there was no factor for my bleeding disorder until 2015. I was 13. So I went four years without any factor. And during that time, I started having periods. And literally, like, I could not get out of bed. I was almost hospitalized because I was so anemic. Um, and thankfully, at that point, I wasn't trans. Um, so it didn't bother, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me quite as much. 
But um, when I finally, like, was like, okay, I'm trans, like, because I think every female hates their periods. I think I can safely say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, when I came out as trans, it was, it was rough. Because um, at that point, because hemophiliac, I also have a needle phobia and I don't really infuse uh, which, you know, you shouldn't do. You should infuse. <laughs> um, I'm not the greatest role model for that. <laughs> but, um, since I didn't really infuse like I was supposed to, my periods were so heavy. Like, some days I couldn't go to school. When I, I, when I did go to school, I couldn't swim, because without fail, I always got my period right when it was time to go to swimming. My periods would last months at a time. I would wake up in the middle of the night, uh, and if I didn't get up immediately to go change my pad, I would bleed all over the bed. Like, I cannot count the number of times I'd had to sleep somewhere else because I had bled on my bed and there were no sheets. Periods are hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being trans and having periods and having a bleeding disorder as well, you know, kind of is all like a bagel. Mm. And, you know, for people... For hemophiliacs or people with bleeding disorders that are struggling with their periods infuse do that yeah because i was gonna ask you like what like how do you how do you you know deal with that today you had a hard time before but how do you deal with that today so today i take birth control <laughs> um i took birth control when i was a little kid my poor mom had to explain to parents at sleepovers like oh yes my 10 year old is on birth control but not for the reasons you think He's on birth control. Um, but uh, for a while, it took a while to find one that worked and continued to work because I kept getting like resistances built up to them. And, you know, I'd have breakthrough bleeding and then it would just be my period. Um, but I finally found one that seems to be working for me. Um, every three months I have a period. Plus, now that I'm on testosterone, the periods are like gone. I'm like... This is amazing. I never thought this would ever happen, ever. But I literally, like, I have to change my pad maybe once a day. It's amazing. It's such a big difference to going through a pack every, like, three days. Like, oh my goodness. Mm. But I'd say the birth control is probably the biggest because it keeps my periods from being months long and keeps me from having them every month. Um, and the testosterone just kind of makes it not quite as bad. Uh, when I do have them. It's definitely helped me a lot. I have a lot of issues with being very low energy. I have a lot of health issues. So it's not just hemophilia. But being anemic definitely didn't help. And um, some like right now I probably sleep 12 to 16 hours a day. Um, thank God college is not high school. Because <laughs> when I was in high school I would sleep, go to school, eat, go back to sleep. Um, that was my routine. I, I didn't do very well because I couldn't do my homework because I was too tired. But, um, thankfully I was smart enough and I just did it while I was at school because that's the only time of the week. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's fine. No, it's 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 great to hear that, um, you... It's great to hear that you have, you're more in control of your health right now and you know what to do. And, you know, you've had rough experiences in the past, but you know how your body works. 
now and that's 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 so valuable that information about how your how your body works is so valuable at at your age i wanted to ask you you know what suggestions do you have or ideas um for one lgbtq plus people who have a bleeding disorder and two you know doctors or physical therapists who have an lgbtq plus patient with a bleeding disorder so as for people who are lgbtq probably the best thing you can do is have a doctor you trust and tell them like mm -hmm. that is so important my my doctor when i was very confused um was very helpful um especially you know in terms of what i could and could not do with my bleeding disorder rather not what i could and could not but rather what would be easy and what would be hard with my bleeding disorder so you know Typically, the trans experience, like the trans roadmap or whatever, you know, not everyone has to follow this, uh, is hormones, top surgery, bottom surgery, whatever else. Um, that's considered like the basic transition roadmap. And so he kind of explained to me, he was very helpful with that um, as for, you know, okay, I could do hormones, they're not going to interfere with blah, blah, blah. Uh, as for surgeries, I would need to do this. He coordinated very closely with my um, hematologist, because my hematologist is not my PCP, obviously. Um, he worked very closely with my hematologist to say, okay, you're having a surgery, or um, for other reasons, or okay, you're looking into getting top surgery. Um, here is what you need to know. And here's what, here are the questions that you need to ask. Um, probably the craziest experience is when I went in to have another colonoscopy, not colonoscopy, upper scope, but pretty much the same thing. Um, because they didn't find anything the first time and I had the same problems the second time. So, um, I, when I had an upper scope, the craziest thing was showing the anesthesiologist how to mix my meds. Like we had to explain it to probably six anesthesiologists before we found one that finally was like, why don't you show us how to do that? Um, so yeah, it's very important to have a doctor you trust, be open with them, be honest with them. Probably the most valuable thing for me, I was luck I am lucky enough to have parents that will offer to leave the room so that I can talk to my doctor in private. Oh my, that is actually really oh, huge. Yeah. Um, Whoa, first, I'm so glad you yeah, said that. Was, that is honestly like kind of like that your parents oh, trust yeah. you. Um, I love my parents. Um, I love my mom. <laughs> They're amazing. Um, especially in regards to my health, because when I started getting old enough to know, okay, I have to do this, this and this to keep myself from getting hurt. Uh, they transitioned it so that I was in charge of my care at like 12 and the craziest one of the craziest experiences with that was when the doctor turned and asked me a question and my mom didn't answer him <laughs> and i was like huh <laughs> I was like wait you're talking to me but um so that's also really important um i go to an adolescent medicine clinic which is sort of like set up like an adult clinic so it's not a pediatrician 
It's not like you go in the waiting room and there's one of those little bead things for the little kids that they just sit there and play with. There, there are no, like, kids' toys. Like, it's not like that. You go in and it looks like a doctor's office. And you can check yourself in. Obviously, you need to have a parent there until you're, like, 16. But, um, you know, it's very helpful. The doctors actually ask the parents to leave the room. Um, mm-hmm. I know some people whose parents would not do that. And that's really sad um, because it's hard to be honest with your doctor, especially if there's something you don't want your mom to know, um, mm-hmm. you know, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, there are just some things that you have questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in front of your parents and that's okay. Um, but it's right. very important mm-hmm. to have a, a safe area where you can talk about your health. Um, as for health providers with LGBT or potentially questioning um, patients. Most important thing is check in. What do you go by? What are your pronouns? Um, Have you been considering any other pronouns? Uh, What are you considering in terms of your health plan, uh, in terms of transition? Um, Because all that stuff can change, all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably, and that's one really important thing that for people to know is that, you know, none of these things are set Absolutely. in stone. And so asking, um, you know, asking because these things change on a, you know, you never know when they're going to change. Um, asking is so important and it really helps um, your, your, your patient feel more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know probably the best, the best thing was when I went into a doctor's office and the nurse asked me my pronouns. Like this was after I had been at that same office for a while and they hadn't been doing that. Mm-hmm. Like my doctor asked, but the nurses didn't ask, like when they took you in to weigh you and stuff. She asked for my pronouns. I was like, I'm not gonna be mad. <laughs> like I'm gonna right? be mad if you, if you ask me for my pronouns. Like I definitely mm-hmm. don't look like a he, him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um. Seriously, I think that should just be kind of like a basic thing that everyone does is ask people for their pronouns. It's like amazing. It's mm-hmm. like the best feeling, too, when you find right? someone who asked and you're like, is this real? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But um, yeah, so probably the most important thing is ask. And probably the second most important thing is respect. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really had issues with any of my healthcare providers, um, you know, not believing me, saying I was too young. Anything like that, you know, I am lucky enough to have doctors that understand that I can make decisions for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people I know were not that lucky and had to jump around between many, many healthcare providers before they finally got one that listened to them. So that's probably the biggest thing as well is listen, respect Whatever they say, take them seriously. It doesn't matter how young they are. Take them seriously. Mm -hmm. And if it's just a phase, they're allowed to have phases. We are allowed to go through phases. That's what life is. Uh, Mm -hmm. Life is a phase. So, like, don't ever try to discredit the patient who is coming to you with concerns for their health and their well-being and oftentimes their safety, you know, listen just listen and i know probably most of the healthcare providers that are going to watch this are probably going to be like oh i do that already great <laughs> but those <laughs> that 
think, oh, maybe there was a time where I should have done something differently. You know, if you still have that patient, apologize. And if you don't still have that patient, make it a point to do better. And it's okay to make mm -hmm. mistakes. And we love you in everything you do, healthcare providers and LGBT people. Yeah. We love you too. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is amazing. What I what I'm mostly getting, you know, is just have good communication. Like be open to listening. Ask questions if you if you have, you know, legitimate questions to ask and know who you should be talking to and know who this person, you know, this person should be talking to this person or, you know, knowing who should be asking questions to whomever. Um, so great. It's so great that you that you said that. Um, before we wrap up, I want to ask you, you know, you're in college and what's next for you? More college. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, more college. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, at first, I, you know, I'm a biomedical engineering student and I had a plan for that, but the plan kind of left and uh, <laughs> my passion kind of went out the window. And I noticed that I really liked, you know, labs more than math classes. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, now I want to be a biology major, which has much less math involved. Um, um, I would really, really like, um, I have like an artistic flair. Uh, I would mm -hmm. really like to be a habitat designer at like a zoo or a natural reserve, work at a natural reserve. That would be so cool um like seriously probably one of my favorite things is just looking at pictures of wild animals and like oh my god <laughs> they're so <laughs> majestic but um it would be wait can i ask you one can i ask you one thing one of the things that you said in the teen impact awards two years ago is that one of your dreams is to like develop wings for humans do you remember saying that that's why I went into biomedical engineering. And when I took an engineering class, I'm like, this is literally the worst class I've ever taken. <laughs> and I'm like, if I want to make wings for like cosmetic reasons, I'll just DIY it and figure it out myself. Like, I don't need to mass produce them. I can sell them on Etsy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I like animals a lot more than I like people and uh, managing a business. So I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go, like, live in the woods now. <laughs> well, we're excited to see what you're going to do. I want to thank you for coming here for the uh, podcast interview. Thank you. And, yeah, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm hoping that people listen to this because you said some very, very important, valuable things today. I do my best. Sometimes it gets lost, but I do my best. <laughs> Thank you so much to Mason Bobro for being with us, the Bloodstream team for all your work on the series, and thank you for listening. And thanks to Takeda for being the presenting sponsor for the Bloodstream podcast. Check out bleedingdisorders.com for more information. Circle back to hear all the episodes celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, and make sure to find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the program notes for this episode on your podcast player or go to bloodstreammedia.com where you'll find links and other related information on the stories and segments featured on this episode. Mm -hmm.